Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Oak City Church. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Uh, Welcome to our live stream. Actually, this is being done recorded Friday afternoon, uh, partially because we had Pat lead us in worship, so thanks, Pat. That was awesome. It was great. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. So listen, Jeff Ramsey is normally our pastor. That's who you'd see. He is getting some much-earned time off from at least preaching. Um, He's done, I think, roughly 12 weeks in a row. So Jeff, enjoy your time. So listen, we are in our series looking at the art of neighboring. And it sounds kind of simple, right? What does it look like when we love our neighbors? So, Jeff introduced us week one, kind of gave us a high-level view uh, where, where it came from, how some a group of pastors in Colorado met with their mayor, and at the end of it, the mayor was basically said, what if you guys just loved your neighbors? And dropped the mic. And the pastor's like, wait, he just told us to love our neighbors like Jesus told us. It took the mayor to tell these pastors. So that's where that f- came from. Uh, and, and Jeff challenged us, and he said, hey, do you know the eight closest neighbors around you? Can you, can you draw a map, and can you write down their names? Uh, my home group, we did it. I was really impressed with how well people knew each other, and I thought it was great. So shout out to the home group. And a quick plug, if you are not in a home group, this is a great opportunity. Uh, I think we have six home groups that are going and doing this sync. So what we talk about Sundays, they then discuss it on the phone, whether it's a Zoom or WebEx or Google Hangout. So six home groups are doing that. So if you're not part of a home group, here's a great time to get plugged in. You can hop on a call, and you don't have to leave your house. <laughs> if you need some more information, you can email me, uh, Dan Fitzgerald. You can email Ken Contrell. You can go on our website at Oak City Church and find out the home group information, contact the leader, and, and get plugged in. So that's just a quick shout-out for the home groups, because they're doing this, and they're just diving deeper into this conversation. Last week, Jeff looked at the first barrier to loving our neighbors, and that barrier is time. I have three small kids. Any, like, moving with kids, whether it's food or going somewhere to play, it's like an act of Congress. We have to pack food, we have to pack clothes, toys, you name it. It, It's a process. But before I even had kids, and some of you have kids that are grown, some of you don't have kids, we still cram our schedules full of events. So time really is a barrier. And and what jumped out to me from Jeff's message last week was, uh, with my time, I like to use it or figure out how is it going to benefit me or my family. I'm selfish with my time. How will this benefit me? And Jeff contrasted that to Jesus, who literally, it looks like he was really bad at time management. But he did it because he loved the people around him. And he used the time as a gift to build God's kingdom, not his. He used that time, that gift, to build God's kingdom. So that's the, the recap of the past two weeks that leads us to where we're at today. So today we're going to talk about fear as a barrier to loving our neighbor. And just so you know what, where I want to go today, I want to basically address the fear. And what I kind of, I'm going to summarize that, and I think there's two things that really encompass fear that prevent us from loving our neighbor. And then from there, we're going to look at a passage in Luke, how a man was despised by everyone around him, by his neighbors. Uh, they hated him. 
They want nothing to do with him. And how Jesus went out of his way to love and, and friend this fellow neighbor. And then from there, what I want to do is I want to give you three takeaways. Uh, so three takeaways of how we can overcome fear. Quick side note, I, t- I joked with Jeff and I joked with Tiffany is my only concern about this video podcast is m- me sitting. I like to walk and look around. Uh, so thank you guys for the pictures of some people of our church in front of us. They're pretty great, but I'm going to do my best to stay still, not use my hands to cover my face, so bear with me, all right? Uh, before I do that, I just want to start with prayer, though. God, we thank you for your grace and your love, and God, for just the fact that Jesus modeled how to love. And I pray today, God, that you speak, that your word comes to life, that you're, you silence me, and Jesus, you are glorified with the message, that it comes to you as a form of praise, and that you use me and this message for your, for your kingdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I got to be honest, uh, when my wife and I, we wrote down kind of the, the eight neighbors, closest neighbor, I think we actually did a bit more than that, I was really proud of how well we knew everybody, except for the lady that's kind of dying across the street from us. We kind of call her the crazy lady of our neighborhood, uh, so I, f- I feel embarrassed to share that. Uh, we don't know her name. Um, we rarely see her out. If she's out, she walks her dog only on her property, or she'll cross the street to check her mail. And I kid you not, I have actually camped out front a couple of times and I've waited for her to go check her mail and I've come out, I'm like, hey, how's it going? I'm Dan. And I kid you not, she has literally done the, won't look at me, looks down, won't acknowledge that I'm there. Uh, So I confess that to you, that I want to know her and I don't. So forgive me for that, but I wanted to be honest in it that we're not perfect. And I share that because she's kind of our, the crazy lady, but we're still called to love her. And you're thinking, hey, maybe you're thinking that you don't have anybody crazy that's in your neighborhood. You may have to look in the mirror. You may be that crazy person. You can let me know. Uh, but listen, so the whole point of this series is really comes from Mark. In, in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, it says this. So Jesus was talking to a religious leader, and the religious leader asked him, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this. You shall love the Lord your God of all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this, and this is what I want you to hear today, is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. As I mentioned earlier, with, when it comes to time, I'm selfish. I think about what I want to do with my time. How's it going to benefit me? How's it going to benefit my family? But Jesus calls me to the opposite, to love that neighbor as myself. So I need to think about how will my time benefit my neighbor. So I think about that in my group. Like I said, my home group did great at being able to respond to knowing neighbors. And I think probably a lot of us in Oak City, we tend to know our neighbors really well. I think a lot of you are good at being intentional for your neighbors. So I want to pose this question to you is, with your neighbors, have you brought in the fact that you're a Christian? Have you brought God into the equation? Have you laid out who Jesus is? Have you shared the love of Jesus with them in a conversation? Maybe in an action, but have you you had a a gospel conversation with them? And I think what prevents us are two things. So the first thing is this. I think the the main fear is that we're afraid of how people are going to view us, whether it's intolerant, 
uh, offensive, maybe uneducated. We're worried about how those people around us, how do they view us? What do they think of us? That's the first fear. The second fear is this. I think we're afraid that we're not going to know what to say. We're afraid that we're not going to have all of the answers for them. And that's real. We're not going to we're not going to have all the answers, but those are the, to me, those two encompass the fear that prevents us from bringing Jesus into the conversation. I hope you can relate to that. If you were here, it kind of, I would have you shout out, so from your house, shout out what else prevents you from having conversations with people. If you want, you can pause it real quick. Talk about it. If you're at a viewing party, we're, we're started viewing parties this Sunday, so if you're with a group of people, go ahead and share. Pa- pause this, pause this, and talk to them. If you if it's just yourself, text somebody or call someone later. But think about it and be honest. So I wanted to bring in some, some, almost some data to this. I wanted you to realize that, see some more of that conflict. So there's a pastor that I follow. His name is Mark Driscoll. Uh, he was in Portland, now he's in Arizona. And, and he released a book last year called Christians Might Be Crazy. And through it, he goes to the top seven objections to Christianity. So, and Mark, uh, and his ministry, basically they paid this research group to get this data to figure out what are the top seven objections. And what they did is they called over 900,000 people. Random calls, over 900,000 people. And from that, they narrowed it down to some se- couple thousand. And then from there, they even narrowed it down and they did eight focus groups. Uh, they did it in four cities, San Francisco, Phoenix, Austin, and Boston. And so those focus groups were ages from 18 to 44. They would meet for a couple of hours. They would record and take notes, and then all that went back to Mark Driscoll for him to listen to everyone. He would look through the notes, and he read it. And what I want to start with is just the wide, so they really wide range of people of different ages. But what's crazy is here's what they associated with a Christian. When, they a- when, the, when the group asked them, hey, what do you think of, who do you think of as a Christian? What religions? Here's what they said. There were some historical branches. There was Catholics and Protestants. But then it goes to the Jehovah Witness. It went to Mormons. And some of the groups said that they were uh, the Christians on bicycles. Uh, libertarianism, which is a political ideology. Scientology, which makes you think of Tom Cruise. Hinduism, Buddhism, and th- here's the last one that really startled me, is that people associated Christianity with Wicca, which is a p- form of pagan witchcraft. And I, I want to ask myself, what does my neighbor, what do they think of me when I tell them I'm a Christian? What do my coworkers think of me? If this is you know, from a group of people, that's what they thought as a, as a Christian, that's what they identify, it's a bit scary. And some of you are like, hey, we're in North Carolina, it's part of the South, people grew up with the Bible. North Carolina is changing. I, myself, I'm a transplant, I love it here. But not only that, think about how many people have had a bad experience for the church or with a Christian, people that are like, hey, they're Christians and they had a really bad experience. Maybe that's you today, maybe you're listening, you're like, oh yeah, I don't want to be associated with Christians. I want to apologize, but I want you to bear with me and I want you to hear, and as we're going to look at shortly, how Jesus models what it looks like to be a Christian, to love our neighbor. I want to just go a little bit more. Those focus groups, they talked about, they asked what they think Christians should do, and here's some of the things they said, just a couple from this book. They said that they viewed Christian a lot of times as brainwashed, as idiots. Uh, most Christians don't have any educated education or they're less education, educated than they were. 
They said that most Christians couldn't think for themselves, they just blindly follow along. And the last thing that jumped out was that they said that Christians should just leave Jesus at church. So as I read these, as I hear those, I'm like, well, no wonder fear is such a barrier to us loving our neighbors. We are worried about what they think about us. We're worried if we're gonna have the answers to these educated people. I think it's fair for us to say, yeah, that's, that's intimidating. So I want us to, to think about the fact that so often I think instead of loving our neighbor, we sign up for stuff like short-term mission trips. We find ways to say, man, I wanna just leave this behind. Someone else will talk to my neighbor, but I wanna go to this country. And there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think we use that instead of loving our neighbor. I think short-term mission trips are great, and I don't wanna dig on that, but we don't have to leave when we have people right around us that need to know the love of Jesus. So what I want to do today is I want us to realize that, hey, there's tension. That fear is real. There's tension there. So what I want to do is I want to look at a passage from Luke chapter 19. So in this passage, there is a guy who's despised by everyone around him. His neighbors don't like him. He doesn't really have any friends. He's a tax collector. So he works for the Roman Empire, uh, and then what he would do is he would steal and cheat and take extra from the people around him. And the government didn't frown upon it as long as they got what they were owed. And this makes me think of the sheriff in Nottingham from Robin Hood. Not the Kevin Costner, not the modern day Robin Hood, but the cartoon that you and I grew up on uh, that my kids are now watching and they love. And so I even included a picture here in the slides because I think it's great to see it. I mean, he was a bad guy in the movie, right? He, he stole from Robin Hood who was dressed as a blind man. He stole from the little rabbit, the boy, on his birthday. He takes the and the one character who's got a cast and has his money hidden, he turns upside down. The sheriff was a bad guy. And that's kind of the same perception that I want us to realize for Zacchaeus. He's not a good guy. So in this passage we're about to read, Jesus and his disciples are walking through Jericho. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Just to help set the scene, in chapter 18 of Luke, they, uh, Jesus heals a blind man. And then, if you fast forward a bit later on in Luke 19, it's when they basically go to Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday, uh, roughly a week before Jesus is crucified. So it's kind of the end of his ministry. And I think it's just important to set that scene. I want you to think about the disciples real quick. These guys are not educated. I mean, if you're going to start Christianity from the scratch, these are not your draft pick guys. They're fishermen. There's even a tax collector in there. You know, as Pat referenced in the beginning of worship, is that Jesus was a friend of sinners, of tax collectors. So I could have chosen lots of stories, but I want to focus on Zacchaeus. Uh, and, and as you hear the name Zacchaeus, there is a song. I promised my wife I would not sing this song, but there's a, a little Bible song as a kid. It's Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up top of a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus. I'm not going to sing it. Hopefully that song gets stuck in your head. If not, look it up. Teach your kids it so they can sing it to you and know you later. I'm just kidding. Well, that's, that's who we're going to look at, all right? So Zacchaeus is not a good guy. So if you have a Bible, I'd uh, love for you to turn with me. If not, we should have it up uh, somewhere on the screen. And, and I want to start with a chapter 19 of, of Luke, verses 1 through 4. It says this, And he entered, so Jesus and his disciples, they entered Jericho, and, was, and they were passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the count of the crowd, he could not because he was in small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. 
So I want to point out a couple of things real quick. I want to point out the fact that Zacchaeus, yeah, he's small, he's short, but the crowds despise him so much that they wouldn't even allow him to see Jesus. They're, they boxed him out. They're like, we want nothing to do with you and so much that you were not going to allow you to see this great person named Jesus. I don't know, maybe you've been a Zacchaeus, maybe you know a Zacchaeus. Maybe you've been blocked out by Christians. Not kind, right? So I want us to move on to verse 5 and 6. It says this, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, he calls Zacchaeus here, he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come on down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And here's what jumps out to me. Jesus could have done this a, a lot of different ways. He knew that he needed to lovingly confront Zacchaeus. He could have caught Zacchaeus in the act of stealing from someone. He could have gone to Zacchaeus off and said, hey, what you're doing is wrong. He could have said, you're a sinner. Jesus could have waved at him and, and not even given Zacchaeus the time of day. Uh, Jesus could have come to Zacchaeus in a vision, but he doesn't do any of that. He calls him personally by name. He sought out Zacchaeus. Feel that. In verse 7, it says this, and if, you know, it says, and when they saw it, so the crowds, they all grumbled, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I mean, Jesus does not get any breaks. And it, not only did they grumble, I'm sure his disciples, think about, the, you know, Jeff talked about the time management, they're probably like, Jesus, not again. Hey man, we, you just healed that blind man earlier, that was awesome, but this guy, he's a tax collector, he's a sinner, are we really going to his house? I can see them thinking, man, people already don't like us, we're not the smartest guys, you're not helping our case, Jesus, you're not winning anybody, there's people that here that could probably listen to you, or they, there's other people that need you more than Zacchaeus, Jesus. I mean, feel how they would feel. Uh, it makes me think about a couple of years ago, our neighborhood kind of had a block party, and we were new when we first moved in, so we're trying to get to know people. So we go to this block party, and we're getting to know people, and there's this guy that's kind of sitting off on his own, and so I'm like, oh, something's either wrong with him or nobody likes him. So I kind of go over there and I say, hey, how's it going? And I get a, mm, mm. I was like, well, this is a good start. This is why you're by yourself. But I still continue to engage with him. And fast forward a bit, I've gotten to know Dave. I uh, found out that he actually was helped build our house back in the 1970s and I've actually cut down some limbs and a tree for, for him on his property. Neat guy, but it took, it was rough around the edge and it took some time to get to know him. So I, I think of that kind of with, Je with Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a rough guy. People are looking down on him. I mean, literally because of his size, but even so because of his character. And now listen, we're not privileged to know the conversation that Jesus had. We're not. Luke doesn't, doesn't give us those words. We don't know what Jesus said, but we know that Jesus called Zacchaeus by name and went to Zac met Zacchaeus right there on his level. He loved him. And in verse 8, look at this. Look at this response from Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods, half, 50% of my goods, I give to the poor. And if, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus has an experience with Jesus, and look at the result where he, he gives back. I mean, Zacchaeus goes from taking to giving. He goes from having abundance to giving it back. 
It goes to caring. It goes from stealing to giving. Right? Feel that. All that from experience and encounter with Jesus. And I can hear us all saying, hey, Dan, that's Jesus. We're, we're not Jesus. And I know that. But look at Jesus' response in verses 9 and 10. It says, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also the son of Abraham. And here, please listen to this. This is, this is the, the crux of it right here. For the son of man, so Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to save the lost. What I love about this is throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus did this all the time. He's, his feet are washed by a prostitute. He, there's a woman caught in the middle of adultery, and they're going to stone her, and he intervenes. He tells her that, that she's forgiven and to sin no more. He heals blind and, and those that can't walk. He heals the leopards. He brings people back to life. He's the friend of sinners and tax collectors. And what I love about this is that Jesus didn't just tell us to love our neighbors. Jesus actually loved his neighbors. He didn't give us the cheek and tongue and say, hey, do as I say and not as I do. Jesus modeled it for us. He modeled it for his disciples. He modeled it for us. And I, I can hear you through the screen. I, I hear you. You're saying, Dan, we're not Jesus. I am not Jesus. I, like Paul, am the chief of sinners. I think about how many times I should have shown the love of Jesus to the people around me, my neighbors. How about my family, my wife, my, my kids? But I'm selfish, I'm broken. That's why I need Jesus. So if you think about how do we take a story like Zacchaeus, how do we look at how Jesus loved him? How, how do we apply that to us? How do we say, I want to apply our life to the word there? So I think it comes, here's the three things. I want to start with the first one. The first one is this, is overcoming fear starts and ends with prayer. See, everything that Jesus did on his time on earth, he, oh, he said he did according to his Father's will, not his. Throughout the Bible, we see, throughout the gospel especially, we see Jesus spending time in prayer. We see Jesus in, in Matthew 5 and in Luke 6, he says that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who abuse us, for those who persecute us, or to pray for them. I mean, Jesus modeled that so well, and he calls us to pray for the people around us. And it, hey, listen, that can start vague. Maybe you, you say, hey, it's the crazy lady across the street. The, the beautiful thing is as we continue to pray, God changes our hearts. So as I continue to pray for this lady that I don't know, God is softening my heart to her. I ask God to provide me opportunities to engage her. You know, it's funny, I, a couple years ago, I heard a, a sermon, I think it was by Mark Driscoll, and he says, hey, when people ask you to pray for them, don't say, hey, I'll pray. Stop right there and pray. So I listened to this podcast, and I kid you not, the next day, I go to the store to get some flowers for my wife and some wine, and the florist wants to talk, and I'm like, I just want to get some flowers, I want to move on, and uh, I asked her how her day was, and she's like, oh, it's okay. I'm like, all right, she gave me a good answer, but I feel this conviction about the Holy Spirit. I said, well, what do you mean okay? Just okay, what's going on? So she shares with me how her husband's having these health issues. I said, okay, and we talked a bit, and I was like, well, here's a cardiologist I know, it's great, but I can tell there was more that she was longing for, and I said, hey, 
what's your husband's name? And her name is Susan. She goes, well, his name is Bill. I said, okay, Susan. I said, I'd love to pray for you and Bill. And she goes, oh, that'd be great. And I think she thought I was done. And I said, no, no, no. This was awkward. I said, I want to pray for you right now. And she burst into tears. She goes, nobody's ever said that. They've always said they'll pray for me, but they've never done it. So here in the middle of the store, I'm feeling awkward and a bit embarrassed. I pray with Susan for her and her husband. I stayed in touch with her for a bit, and I saw her a couple times at the store, and uh, I know that she got connected in church. Her husband did go see the cardiologist, but my takeaway from that is how God was using that to teach me, and how prayer is taking somebody and laying at the feet of Jesus. So, yeah, there was fear, but as I prayed during that time, that fear went away. God uses prayer to overcome fear. It's not easy, it can be awkward, but the more we pray, the more we spend time talking to God, the more we're gonna realize who he is as well. Now listen, you may say, hey Dan, I'm not good at praying, or I don't even like to pray out loud. Uh, at Oak City Church, we have a prayer ministry team here. Uh, they're uh, part of it. You've seen us sometimes, we'll stand on stage and we do a prayer service. Um, we also, there's prayer requests, there's the connect cards you can send out. But part of the uh, passion of the prayer team is we want to teach others to pray. We want to model it for you and with you. So I- if you have questions like, hey, I don't know how to pray, I really want to connect, go to our website at Oak City Church, go to the connect card and reach out to the prayer team. We would love to, whether it's in person or a call, whatever it would be, we can set something up. But we, w- we want to help you, church, become better at praying. If you're in a home group, spend time praying together. If you're not, and if it's just you and your family, spend time praying with your kids, with your spouse, model it. Because prayer is how one way that we get to overcome fear. And really, prayer is even more powerful when we pray God's word, which leads me to that second point. See, prayer by itself is great, but we also have to know the word of God. So we overcome fear with God's word. So if you were here in the building today, I would ask you this, I would look around and I'd say, do you guys know what is the number one commandment throughout the Bible? And hopefully you guys would shout it out. So if you want to shout it out at home, shout it out. Uh, but the number one commandment throughout the Bible, the most repeated commandment, not the number one, but the most repeated commandment throughout the Bible is to not be afraid. Say so what? Yeah. Don't be afraid is throughout the Bible. So I want to give you two quick verses. The first one is Proverbs 29, verse 25. This is one that I... I memorize and it comes a lot to me. And it says this, it says, the fear of man lays a snare, a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And what he's saying in Proverbs is that there's nothing to fear with man because if you are of God, you will be safe. Maybe not from a physical, but from a spiritual need, you'll be safe. Another verse I love, 2 Timothy 1.7. And this is uh, Paul writing this to Timothy. He says, for God has g- gave us a spirit not of fear, so God is not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I've also heard uh, it said as peace, right? That peace comes from God. So yeah, I could spend, we could spend hours and probably days just pulling in Scripture, looking at promises of God. But I want to pull up another passage um, that's written by Peter. So Peter was one of those disciples that was in the house of Zacchaeus. Peter has ebbs and flows. There's days that he was great, other days where like, who are you, Peter? Um, Peter was a fisherman who God called. He wasn't highly educated, but Jesus called him, and when he first met Jesus, he says, hey, depart from me, I'm a sinner. 
Peter is the same one that later in the book of Matthew uh, that Jesus tells him, he says, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. But later on, uh, the same Peter that Jesus said, hey, you're gonna deny me three times, I'll never deny you, I'll die with you. That before Jesus was crucified, Peter denies him three times. But then it's the same Peter that later on uh, at the end of his life, he's going to be crucified on the cross. He felt that he wasn't worthy enough, so he had them hang himself upside down. So they hung him on a cross upside down because he didn't want to be presented the same way that Jesus was. So listen to what he writes, though, in First Peter. In First Peter uh, 3. Sorry, I just turn this real quick. And a lot of us know verses 15. Um, I think it's a verse we quote a lot when it comes to apologetics or evangelism. But we often miss the first verse. And, and Peter says this, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And listen to this. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And he's saying that for those that are going to persecute you, those who ridicule you, don't have no fear, do not be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what Peter is saying is, listen, don't fear man, but be ready to give an answer for the hope you have. But he's giving us the promise to not fear, to not be afraid. So when I talk about us knowing the word of God and how knowing the word of God will overcome fear. I, I want to caveat that with the fact that you're not going to know everything. You're not going to have all the answers. I, I go through throughout the Bible and there's stuff that I read that doesn't make sense to me. Jeff, uh, time and time, has said that it doesn't make sense to him. And I love that honesty. And the people around us want to hear us. Nobody wants to be around someone that is a know-it-all. So the fact that there's that fear, oh, I'm not going to know the answers, well, that's why we want to be in the Word of God. We want to know who God is. The Bible tells us who we are. See, growing up, my dad said that the Bible was the, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. And the sad part is that meant for a while I thought of the Bible as a rule book. And it's so much more than that. It's our hope and our identity. It lets us know who Christ is and what he's done for us. So we need to spend time in the word. And even more powerful, you want to pray, you can even pray the word. I love the book of Psalms because there's so much throughout it that you can pray. But even as we pray and as we read, we're not going to have all the answers. But when we're grounded in the identity of who we are in Jesus Christ, we will not worry about what others think about us. We're not going to worry about having all the answers. And we can be honest and say, hey, I don't know all the answers, but I will find them out with you. Let's do this journey together. That would go much further than trying to speak through all the answers. So as we read God's word, as we pray, and God changes our hearts, he teaches us how to love like he does. And that gets to my third point, is that love overcomes fear. And really, I'm going to say that love conquers fear. There's a line from that Mark Driscoll book. It says that loving our neighbor includes sticking around to hear their honest impressions and questions. Think about how Jesus did that. He went to Zacchaeus. He sat and he listened. 
can we sit and can we listen and hear where people are at, see where they're putting their hope in, where are they putting their, their trust and their, their desires. Jesus did that throughout his time in the Gospels. He sat and he met people right where they were at. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, he was an apologetic. He went around the world speaking and really just defending the faith. And he had, he's had such a huge impact on my life and my walk with Jesus. And I'm sad that he passed away roughly two weeks ago. He lost a battle, a short battle to, can- to cancer. Uh, but he's no longer in pain, he's no longer suffering, he's at home with Jesus. And he said something some while ag- a while ago that I wrote down that it still sticks with me, and it says this. He said, religion means you come to a place. Christianity means you come to the person, Jesus, not a place. Christianity means you come to Jesus, not a place. You know, I think about the news even before all the COVID, you turn on the news and you hear about death and murders. Uh, this past week, between COVID, we had a tornado that touched down here in North Carolina. There's racial tension. There's hurt. There's confusion as, uh, as an African-American is killed and captured on video for the world to see. As there's that hurt and that, that pain, I realize that only Jesus and his love can overcome that. So often, we want to fix it, and we can't without the love of Jesus. You know, we've gotten to know our different neighbors well, um, knowing that they're all, they're all different walks of life. They come from different, different countries, different backgrounds, different political views, different religious views. I remember the first time we met our neighbor Angie and Josh and Tuan and, and Chase and, and Abby, that, that family, uh, Josh was a little 13-year-old boy playing hoops. And here I am, my th- you know, 30-year-old man, I was out for a jog, and I was like, I'll talk to him. And I tried to talk, and I think he probably thought it was awkward. And I was like, yeah, it probably didn't go really well. So I, a couple of days later, he was out shooting hoops, so I made an attempt to go out and, and shoot hoops with him and play. And from there, we've formed this friendship. And we didn't do it out of uh, hoping to gain something. We did it out of the love of Jesus. I mean, the fact that a couple weeks ago, they called and we went over and killed a snake in their kitchen. So the love your neighbor's got to kill snakes. I'm just kidding. But I want to bring it back in the fact that, listen, the love of Jesus is what we're supposed to model. So as we read God's word, as we read the Bible, as we pray, we become more like Jesus. And the reason I know that love can conquer fear, it says this in, in John, First John Four eighteen and 19 says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever, fear, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he, Jesus, loved us first. He loved us first. The love of Jesus is something we're made for, we're created for, we all desire, we long for. Jeff says that there's two things. We want to know that we're good and that we're loved. And we are loved. So uh, let me wrap this up with this story. Um, so I want to tie this all together with this story. In the year 1989, we were living in California, there was an earthquake. And I remember looking out in our backyard, into we had an in-ground pool, and there was waves cresting the pool. I'm like, what? Well, crazy. I went to turn, and our house was shaking. I remember trying to yell for my dad, and he was trying to get out to where I was. 
dishes were falling. It felt like forever. It wasn't that long. Uh, that was my first earthquake. I think I've been in a couple. I don't remember how many. Now that I'm old and I can't remember. But it made me realize that 19, that was 89. The year before that, in 1988, in the country of Armenia, there was a massive earthquake. It killed roughly 25,000 people. And this is a true story. So in this small town, there was a dad that would walk his son to school every single day. And this dad would say, Armand, I love you, and I'll always be here for you. So he dropped his son off at school. He said that, and he goes to work. Fortunately, he didn't make it all the way to work. He got halfway there, and the earthquake hit flat in his work. So he rushes back to the school, and he gets there, and it's completely flattened. So he takes that deep breath. He walks forward to where the front door would be. So he counts his steps, and he makes a right, goes down where the hall should be. And after he gets a certain step in the hallways, he turns left to where the class should be. So he goes forward, and he gets on his hands and knees, and he starts pulling rock and debris. And parents walk around. They're wailing, my son, my daughter. And he keeps digging. And parents say, hey, you need to go home. It's not worth it. Let, let someone else try it. Go home, mourn with your wife. Well, he keeps digging. And he kept digging. And it turned into hours, and then it turned to eight hours, and then 12 hours, and people are like, hey, that's not worth it. it. Then it turned to 24 hours. And his hands are bloody, so he takes off his shirts, and he wraps around his hands, and he continues to dig as their hands are just raw. It hits 36 hours, and then it gets to the 38th hour, and he's telling himself, I told him that I love him, and I'll be here. And at the 38th hour, he moves a big piece of rubble back, and he hears voices, and he goes, Armand, Armand. And his son says, Dad, it's me, it's Armand, I'm here. I knew you'd come. I told my friends that if you were alive, you would come, you would save me, and if you saved me, you would save them. You did it, Dad. And the dad says, Armand, give me your hand. He says, no, no, you have to save my friends. The dad pulls out 13 kids before he pulls out his son, the 14th kid. And I share that story because it's true. And that's a love story, but there's an even greater love story in the fact that Jesus came to earth in the form of man, and he loved sinners and tax collectors. He loves you and I today. So listen, if you don't know Jesus, if you've not listened to him call you by name, if you have not, he is seeking you, if you haven't answered that, today's the day. And if today is the day, I would love to hear about it. You can put on a connect card, you can text us, email us, call us, whatever you need to do. Tell somebody that today you know that Jesus is calling you to be his follower. If Oak City is your church, if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you say, I am a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, I'm gonna challenge you today to love your neighbors. To not let fear hold you back, but to spend time praying for the people. Write down their names and pray for them. Open the, the word of God. Get to know who he is and what he's done for you. Get to know his promises. And know that the love of Jesus will conquer fear. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you came and you pursue us by name. That you, Jesus, long to be in a relationship. So God, for those that don't know you, I pray that today is the day. That they say, Jesus, I give you my heart. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, I long for you. God, our world longs for you. We hear of 
people dying. We hear racial tension that just doesn't make sense. There's natural disasters, there's murders. God, there's hurt. The world needs to know the love of Jesus. I pray that we as a church, as the body of Christ, not just Oak City, but as your church, God, as the body, that we will seek you, to make your name known, to share the love of Jesus for those around us. We thank you for this opportunity to gather in the worship, and we pray that you're going to be glorified. In the name of Jesus, amen. Again, welcome. Thanks for being here today. I hope you enjoyed the time of worship with Pat. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you're enjoying the series. Uh, love for you to get connected in a home group. Love for you to find ways to pray and, and love your neighbors, especially in this time of COVID, whether it's th- through food, whether it's through yard work, uh, just knocking on, checking to them, asking them how they're doing and listening. Go find opportunities to love your neighbors. I love you. Have a great week.